0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Revolution Recap. The Revs are coming off of a successful week, uh, getting four points against Atlanta United and the New York Red Bulls. The Revs took a point against Atlanta last Wednesday and a 1 1 draw uh, off of a late penalty kick by Teal Bunbury. And then they had another great comeback win, a 2 1 victory over the Red Bulls on Saturday. Goals from Diego Fagundes and, again, Teal Bunbury, who had himself a great week. Really, really great week overall for the Revolution. I'm Greg Johnstone, filling in for Sean Donahue, who is, who is still on vacation this week. But I'm being joined today by Brian O'Connell. And, uh, Brian, we'll go in chronological order here. We'll, we'll go into the Atlanta game first, and then we'll talk the game against the New York Red Bulls on Saturday. But what was your big takeaway from the Atlanta game last Wednesday?
0: I would say my biggest takeaway from the Atlanta game was that the Reds were extremely fortunate that luck was on their side. Maybe maybe not so much luck, but Atlanta's finishing was on there was on the ref side. And the fact that they got an all world performance from Matt Turner. Matt Turner I thought was exceptional in that game, really to keep it to one nothing for that long and to uh, and to allow Bill Bunbury to, to score from the spot. So, you know, that was my biggest takeaway. To get a point from that game against the first place against the first place team in the East was massive, massive for them, especially considering it was a midweek game and Atlanta came into that game on basically ten days' rest. So you know, say what you will about that the performance the way it looked it wasn't a, a beautiful game played by really the revs um you know for their part but the fact that they were able to manage a point out of that game was was huge
1: yeah and, and I agree you know I, I think in the standings page they should take one point out of the revolution column and give it to Matt Turner just have Matt Turner at the bottom with one point uh, I mean he he was phenomenal the other day uh, as you say kept him in that game put it within striking distance a lot of people will kind of point out that late penalty is I don't want to say lucky, but you know, anytime you get a late penalty at the at the dying breaths of the game in a game you've been outplayed, it feels kind of, I don't want to say cheap, taking away one point, but you need a great goalkeeper to kind of keep you in that match and to face the, one of the toughest teams in the MLS uh, and to really hold them off as long as did, you have to give a lot of credit to Matt Turner. A lot of those chances were one-on-one chances either. So, or one-on-one chances too. So it wasn't a great game for the back line. I'd say, I, I think we've, for the past, three years, we've been talking about the revolution backline and giving up chances. And, um, you know, the, the fact that they only conceded once in that game is a miracle. So uh, I agree with everything you just said. My takeaway too, is that they still have a lot of work to do. I think it's really good to see a team like Atlanta come into Foxborough and playing this elite, elite competition. Uh, I think it kind of shows where the revolution stand. And I think, you know, we talk about them as a playoff team, but I, I think when they get to playoff time, it's going to be really, really difficult to, face the top tier teams you look at the stat sheet atlanta 50 50 possession uh shot they outshot the revs 12 to 9 obviously created a lot more chances it's really interesting to see a team like atlanta play on the road in new england it kind of i don't want to necessarily say humble the revolution but you know it's been an up and down year for the revolution i i think it's really interesting to see as a measuring stick where they compare to some of the top teams. And I think now, after seeing this game, I think we have a good idea of where the Revolution stands, kind of as a middle-of-the-pack to, I might say, below-middle-of-the-pack team when you face a top-tier team like Atlanta. And uh, I I think they still have some work to do. I'm really interested to see what they do in the summer window to uh, strive to be a top team, because just by the way the Revolution seem to carry themselves, I think they want to be one of the top tier teams, and they're just not there yet. Yeah, I think um, I
0: think I think you mentioned it. I think you said it perfectly. I think I think the win, Wednesday's game was was the the measuring stick kind of game for the refs as far as where they're at. And of course, like you know, they they certainly have room for improvement, especially in the back line. I think my only I think my biggest gripe about that game was the fact that the you know the offense really couldn't get really much anything much of anything going, especially at home. And I think that's something that I think needs to kind of be looked upon by the coaching staff is the fact that I just don't think that they were that I think they struggled to get in rhythm for much of that game and I mean mind you um it's hard to it's hard to throw your offense when the other team's offense is that much better and the focus is probably a little bit more on defending at home than you would normally when you face a, a team that's not as not as stacked as Atlanta on offense but um I think it was uh I think it was the kind of it was the kind of performance that kind of showed that the Revs you know, despite some of the some of the uh, some of the lapses that they showed, you know, still have what it takes. I mean, if it if it means that you need your goalkeeper to come up big, then so be it. And that's that's exactly what Matt Turner did. So um, I think if you had asked any Revolution supporter before that game if they would have taken a po- if they would have been okay with a point at that from that game, every, I think you'd see a lot of hands raised from that because of the fact that they were able to limit a team like Atlanta to just basically one goal and get a point out of it. Kind of show that you know they're they they can compete with those kinds of teams. Obviously, the the biggest loss for them. I was gonna say everything was a okay from that game, but obviously, the biggest the biggest um, development from that game was the fact that Chris Tierney got hurt. And obviously, that's something that, to what you were speaking about earlier, was uh, is that they are probably going to have to look a little bit harder on defense during the summer transfer window. And uh, you just hate to see a guy like Chris, Chris Tierney, you know, consummate professional, you know, Mr. Revolution himself, if you want to if you want to go that far, you know, suffer suffer a season ending injury by uh, by tearing his right ACL.
1: Yeah, and, and we'll get into Chris Tierney's injury a little bit more at the end of the show, but I agree. I think that, at least in terms of the Atlanta game too, I, I was very interested to see, because I know Somi has been kind of, I don't want to say relegated to the bench, but he, he hasn't been starting as much. Uh, he, he was starting every single game and then had slowly, slowly, I don't want to say been phased out, but he's been rotating in and out with Tierney. And, you know, Tierney in the Columbus game, they didn't score, but we talked about... How involved he was in the offense, uh, how he was really the only person that was able to deliver some crosses uh, throughout the game. And, you you know, we were seeing Tierney get more and more minutes as the season went on. I was really excited to kind of see how they used him. I think they saw him as a weapon kind of in the left back spot. And I think now they're going to have to rely on uh, Somi and Yana, which, again, we'll talk about when we get to the Red Bulls game but I think that does kind of leave them with a bit of a hole and it gives them one less option at probably their weakest position. We talked last week about how they needed to improve the fullback position. So it really is a kind of a double-edged sword where you're losing a guy that means a lot to the team. Someone who's exhibits a lot of leadership in the locker room, who's been with the revolution for a long time is a fan favorite. It's really kind of heartbreaking just in general. And then on top of that, from a strategic standpoint um, it makes a weak spot a lot weaker on the field. So you know, it, it didn't end up killing them on Wednesday. They were still able to salvage a point. But yeah, the, the Chris Tierney injury was a, in my mind, it's it's a bit of a backbreaker for the Revolution team.
0: I do th- I do think it's the kind of home game that you will take a point from, though. I think if you're going to take if you're going to be okay with taking one point from a home game, that's the kind of game you want to take a midweek game against the best team in the conference after just flying back from Vancouver, three thousand miles away. Um, and that that game ex- itself was probably. One of the more taxing games the Revs have played, not only for the fact that you had the travel, but also the, the pace of that game, I think, just left left a lot of room for tired bodies going to that Wednesday game. So I think I think if you're gonna say, you know, if you could take one point from one home game, which one would it be? And I think a lot of people would point to, to Wednesday, Wednesday night's game at Atlanta, which, you know, considering the circumstances, you know, probably couldn't have could only have turned out a little bit better had the Revs not obviously conceded and taking three points, but even that might, might have been a little too optimistic considering the circumstances. So, um, like you said, we both we both predicted losses. I think a lot of people weren't confident about the was going to that game. Um, but the fact that they were able to take a point, even though it was at home, I think uh, you know considering the circumstances it just has to be looked at as a positive.
1: Yeah, in- and, and not just that, but you didn't get your best performance. I mean, obviously, mm. I say you use it as a measuring stick, but you took a point and you did not get your best performance from players. Right. They didn't look very threatening. Their defense looked all over the place. Uh, Fagundes had a 56 pass percentage. Pania had a 63% pass percentage. They, just offensively, they looked kind of all out of sync. And, you know, they, again, I don't want to say they got bailed out from a late penalty, but to take a point, I would call them lucky. And overall, I, I think I would have liked to have seen a better showing. But you're right. They came back from Vancouver. It was short rest. Atlanta was on a uh, long rest. Um, so there, there were a lot of factors in that game, and at the end of the day, leaving with one point, I think everyone in New England is satisfied with that result, even if we're not totally on Atlanta's level yet, or, and if you know we we're unable to uh, beat some of the tougher teams in the uh, in the MLS at home.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, it's funny because it, it's, I guess, I guess the word ironic isn't appropriate, but I think it's interesting that of all the games in which the Revs actually, in recent games at least, that the Revs actually do get a penalty. It's that one. And it's the game that they <laughs> needed to get a penalty in order to get a point. Because, I mean, we've seen Brian Wright get hacked down uh, a couple times in recent weeks. We've seen, we saw uh, Nemeth get, you know, cut down yesterday. Uh, yesterday. So, um, you know, for all the talk about how, you know, the revs aren't, how, you know, about all the inconsist- inconsistencies of the VAR, um, you know, that, that penalty, it was an immediate one. Uh, didn't, you know, didn't need VAR to kind of confirm it. It was given right on the spot. Um, you know <laughs> i guess I guess sometimes you know it 's better to be lucky than good in certain situations and that time they they certainly got the luck on their side, or you know what what have you you know what they they earned it so to speak after uh, after uh, not getting penalties in in weeks previous and on saturday
1: and the one other thing I want to touch on in Atlanta is the actual goal from Atlanta, where Atlanta gets the ball at midfield, runs the ball down the wing, and there 's kind of a low cross. Right across goal, and, and it seems like the Revolution defenders kind of hesitate to clear the ball. No one goes and attacks it, uh, and Martinez comes in and just smashes it home. I know you're a big advocate for sticking with one back line and communication, but um, I, I, in a way, I kind of feel like once the Revolution kind of sort these things out, a lot of their goals they're conceding off of really kind of simple mistakes, communication mistakes. And part of me feels, well, once these communication problems are over, once they kind of have more chemistry and they're able to kind of clear out mental gaffes like that, they're going to be a much more solid team. But week after week, I'm kind of losing hope in that. Do you think that the rotation of center backs and the defensive four, the defensive pairings, do you think with all that rotation that might be a bad thing for the Revolution? I mean, it it could
0: hurt some teams. I, I personally think that it... Rotation in the sense that if you're giving guys like like if if this is a true meritocracy where you have people really giving the minutes to the guys who you know work their butts off in training, then I don't have a problem with it on the whole because it seems like it's not, you know, you do have the kind of telltale signs of how how the can concede goals. Like it's you know it's the simple things like that, you know that where they seem to get burned or you have a moment like a, 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 a momentary lapse where. You know, a player like Cla- Claude Dielna or like Andrew Farrell is too far upfield, and then all of a sudden, boom, they get they get killed in the counter. You know, those goals happen to like all teams, and I think it's I think it's something that you know if you really want to see this, if you really want to see improvement on the backline, I do think you have to let that backline gel a little bit um, because I don't think there's anyone on the team that's far from you know being a terrible player. I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know obviously the team that they have right now is you know the team that they that are, the players that they have right now the players that they can work with and if they you know subsequently find better players, better defenders during the summer window, um, then by all means make those changes. but I think you know I think I'm okay with, with with rotations here and there if it means that you're getting guys who are coming to the back line sharper because they're working they're working the tails off in training so um, I'm okay with it right now. Um, I'm okay with with Friedel doing that. And so far, you know, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to concede a goal to Joseph Martinez because the guy scores goals, <laughs> um, and it's just you know credit him for being in the right place at the right time, um, and just and just having the right technique on that on that shot. It was a great it was a great goal, but again, it's also Joseph Martinez, and that guy is exceptionally deadly in the final third. So I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it, so long as it gets sorted out. Obviously, the key. Uh, for the back line in my opinion is avoiding more injuries obviously we saw Tierney get hurt um, But they really really need to stay healthy they really really need to stay informed and understand that there are going to be games like the Montreal game where they just get torched those kinds of games happen at every team in the league so I'm okay with with what's wor- with with what's going on right now they could certainly use an upgrade on le- at left back but uh, on the whole you know you really can't complain about you know where the state of the team is right now considering that they just took five points from a three game, a three game and eight day stretch.
1: Yeah, and 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 they're sitting currently fifth place in the Eastern Conference, uh, which I think coming into the season we would have gladly taken that. Uh, you know, fourteen <laughs> games in, they have twenty two points. Uh, they're in front of Orlando and Chicago and Toronto. I mean, I, I did not see that coming at all. So, and, and as you say, they took a road point against Vancouver. Uh, they they took a point from Atlanta at home and then they took three points against New York those are all very very tough games and you know it's not unreasonable to think that they had they had a really good chance to I shouldn't say a really good chance but they had a chance to lose all three of those games so to come away with five points over those three games I, I think it's really encouraging and it's encouraging to see the revolution are going in the correct uh correct direction so we'll uh, we'll move on to the New York Red Bulls uh which happened yesterday two one result Bradley Wright's Phillips scored in the eighth minute of the game, Uh, the earliest goal conceded by the Revolution this season. But the Revs slowly, uh, they seem to take control after that game. Uh, Diego Fagundes had a great volley, uh, I think right before half. I think it was in stoppage time of the first half. Uh, And then Teal Bunbury got the game winner late in the game from a great pass from Christian Pena. A really, really good team win overall. I I can't really complain about many of the team performances yesterday. Brian, what what was your takeaway from last night's win against the New York Rebels?
0: (laughs) you know i it's kind of cliche but i think it's their really never they're never quit spirit i mean I, I think that's the most evident thing that i've seen from this team on the whole this year is the fact that this team really doesn't quit and i think yesterday was was a definitive kind of was was a statement of that because it was the first time they had ever conceded early um they did see the first goal and then went on to win because previous games i forget what the exact record was but they they had gotten a couple of draws but they never Gotten three points from a game in which they'd conceded first, so um, to do it not only at home but to also do it against uh, you know a, a conference rival and a team that's higher than them on the standings, um, I think was good. It Was certainly you know a really strong was certainly a good thing for them. So I think their their spirit, their attitude, you can just tell it by just talking to the guys in the locker room. You can tell you can tell by talking to guys like Taylor Bunbury, Diego Fagunas guys who they you know week in and week out they say they 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 just never quit whether they win, lose or draw, it's just, you know, the 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 fight and ambition, even in the latter stages, just never ends. So I I think it's a credit to Friedel. And I think we saw that especially come out in Saturday's game where where, you know, you get that goal right before the half. Wow, that's just it's just a massive goal. If you're gonna come back if you're gonna get the equalizer, you do it right before halftime where it's really a gut punch and um and it's to to the to the Red Bulls. And it really kinda sets the tone going into the second half to get that goal right before the half. So you weren't really sure. It was kind of an ugly game. You weren't really sure whether, you know, whether the us had another goal in them. I think the overall passing percentage in yesterday's game uh, between the two teams is hovering around 60%, which is terrible. So the fact that the revolution were able to get a goal despite their, in spite of their form and in spite of their, the fact that, they, that neither team could really connect on their passes, I think was huge. And I think, like I said, it kind of speaks to their uh, never-say-die uh, mentality.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that. Um, I think we've kind of noted throughout the season that when they get down a goal, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're out of the game. They all, they seem to be in games more. I think a game last year where they concede really, really early, you kind of have that feeling of, oh, here we go again, but the Revs seem to kind of be motivated and, and take over that game from that point on. Um, And you touched on something that I was going to touch upon, which is that they scored right before halftime. And I thought originally that might end up being kind of a blessing in disguise for the Red Bulls because they could make adjustments. They could go into halftime and kind of say, you know, we scored early and we kind of put the, the foot off the gas here. I thought I kind of expected the Red Bulls to come out more aggressive than they did, but they seem to be really, really out of it after the first, I'll say 15 minutes or so of the game, at least offensively. They didn't seem to have a lot of guys pushing up. They seemed to be okay taking a point, which I was really surprised about. And again, it might speak to how much opponents respect the revolution, but yeah, I, I thought overall it was a really, really good comeback win by the revolution I can't complain about anyone's performance last night. I thought everyone played really, really well. And apparently Brad Friedel did too. He didn't make a substitution until the 80th minute. So uh, really, really uh, a good over, overall win for the Revolution last night. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I think one guy who
0: did especially well was Christian Namath. Uh, uh, you're stealing my one, takeaway. You're stealing yeah, my takeaway. I'll, I'll, let that, I'll, I'll let you grab that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I was going to say my takeaway is I think I owe Christian Namath an apology. Uh, <laughs> I mean – I'm pretty sure two weeks ago I, I asked you and Sean if we were done with him. I mean, I, I was <laughs> – it was the Montreal game. He came on – I think that was the game where Agudelo got hurt with a hamstring yes. injury. And he yes. came on and he played 60 minutes. And he really yep. didn't do anything. And I know we see him in bits and pieces at the end of games, and he doesn't really do anything. I think he missed a shot, and you know he, he seemed to be out of rhythm at these end of the games, and he hasn't really shown us anything. So he makes his first start yesterday. I did not expect a lot, because we did see him in Montreal in a, in a prolonged time, and he he did not do a lot. Uh, but he was really, really involved in the offense. Um, the revs seemed to be moving the ball down the right wing really, really well. He seemed to have really good chemistry with uh, Fagundes and Bunbury. They were creating some pretty decent chances early on uh, in the first half he had two key passes and an assist uh, the assist with that nice little tap to Fagundes setting him up beautifully putting that ball in the tee so it's really encouraging to see Christian Nemeth show his potential I, and I, I say show his potential like that's the best we can get out of him if you look at the stats he really wasn't amazing amazing he had a 78% pass percentage um, he had a 6.8 rating on who scored it wasn't a all-star performance uh, but we saw some really, really good flashes of potential from Namath, and I think getting him into the lineup and giving him a start was a really, really good decision by Brad Friedel, and I did not see that coming at all. Uh, and so I, I've gained a lot more confidence in seeing Namath. It was to the point where when he was coming off in the 80th minute, I know they wanted to get Juan Agadelo. They said on the broadcast that Juan Agadelo, they're trying to rotate him in and get some him some minutes to uh, build him up to full fitness. But when they pulled off Namath, I, I was i don't want to say disappointed but i was i was a little surprised they didn't give him the full 90 because he played very very well last night
0: yeah yeah he really did and i think um you know he didn't according to the numbers he didn't have like an all-world night but the fact the the thing that i kind of took away from it um was the fact that he looked comfortable in the offense he didn't take away anything from the offense i felt felt like it was the kind of game in which he kind of like really like was on the same page with the rest of the guys with guys like the with guys like uh, Till Bunbury. Um, obviously, the the pass on on Fagunis' goal was was perfect. It was right then and there. And actually, Diego said after the game he wasn't sure if it was going to go to him or not, but he was ready just in case. And the fact that you know Namath was there to and could could ha- had the uh, had the awareness to kind of kick it off to to uh, to, to kind of defer to Fagunis on that was uh, was huge. And I think it kind of spoke to the discomfort within that within that offense on Saturday. And it was funny because actually before the game, you know, a lot of us in the press box were talking about like. This this must be the Christian Namath showcase game because because now they're now the Ravs are looking for another left back and this is uh, you know opportunity to kind of show show what uh, namath has got just to kind of kind of remind the rest of the league that this is a good player and we kind of joked about it but nevertheless I mean credit Namath for just really having having a having a solid performance no matter how no matter how you slice it he looked comfortable um, you know the offense worked well uh, with him in it and uh, you know I think I think it was the kind of game that can't help you can't help but get confidence in a guy after having a game like that and especially with open Cup coming up and you have you know a really a brutal kind of summer schedule and second half schedule uh, you're gonna need all the all the encouraging performances you can get from guys who you know aren't aren't you know first choice selections week in and week out and um, you know certainly certainly after the game uh, Friedel said that he's extremely comfortable with the fact that uh, with what he has as far as depth goes, at striker, and who could, how could you blame him after watching uh, after watching Saturday's game?
1: Yeah, and and Namath too. It was interesting to see him start on the right wing uh, mm. because I know in recent weeks they've they've kind of been putting him up top and they've rotated Brian right, uh, you know, in at striker as opposed to Namath. So I'm curious if maybe they see Namath as a attacking midfielder on that right wing as opposed to a striker if they think that's more of his natural position. Um, And it seemed to have worked out really, really well yesterday. I I didn't have any complaints about that yesterday. They just seemed to be moving the ball very, very well. Uh, Another person, too, that I thought had a really, really good game after a couple of rough performances was uh, Caicedo. Uh, He seemed to be involved in the offense as well. He had the highest score of the Revolution on who scored – Um, His overall numbers are not great, seventy percent pass percentage, but he did have three interceptions in the midfield. He seemed to be a little more involved in the offense, uh, and he seemed to be covering a lot of ground. I did notice that Casado moved back into the kind of left back and right back spots to kind of help out on defense uh, a little bit more. He seemed to be all over the field yesterday. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on Casado? I thought it was a really, really good bounce back performance from him. Yeah,
0: I thought it was too. I think it was it was the kind of game where, you know, I think he kind of, yeah, I felt like he was a little more confident in what he was doing. You know, he seemed to uh, obviously the the build up to the uh, to Bunbury's goal was was phenomenal. I mean, to find, <laughs> to basically find uh, Pania and get that get that pass off was was kind of a kind of gets lost in the fact that it kind of gets lost a little bit. But I thought that was a great pass to uh, to Pania to set up Bunbury for that go ahead. But um, on the whole, I thought he did. I thought he was. I thought he was good. I think you know, in a game in which really nobody was passing all that all that well, I think he was one of the better players when it comes to uh, when it came to passing. So. You know, certainly the kind of performance the Revs needed from Caicedo, You know, given his recent struggles, at least the struggles that we've seen from him lately. Um, so I think overall, I think it was, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a solid performance from him. And hopefully, you know, the uh, you know Caicedo continues to trend in that direction because uh, you know the Revs are going to need him to to play to play at that level in order to get more points from these uh, from these tough games.
1: Yeah, and another person I want to just touch upon, just because I thought this stat was kind of mind blowing, was uh, Teal Bunbury. And you know, I, I kind of led into this on the intro, but he's got eight goals in his last ten games. And Jeff Lemieux tweeted this out yesterday after the, the last night's game. Teal Bunbury has fifteen goals in his last thirty appearances, not starts, appearances dating back to last July, which is kind of incre- incredible. Because thinking back to last season, I didn't necessarily think Teal Bunbury had a lot of good performances he did he seemed to be kind of out of sync with the offense i know he kind of caught fire a little little bit here and there but he seems to be totally on fire right now and and doing as much as he can up top so i i think it's really kind of settled who's who's up top for the rest of the season uh this is a comeback that i did not see coming uh teal bunbury is maybe all-star consideration level i mean he's playing very very well right now
0: i I would i would agree i would certainly give him I I think he certainly deserves a shout for uh making the all-star team because I mean, it's funny because we were talking about we were talking about on the show at the beginning of the season whether or not you know tail up top was kind of like a temporary thing. Uh, we weren't quite sure, you know, what what direction Friedel was going with that. Um, and you know, to to his credit, I mean, he's certainly shown that he does, the spot is his for all intents and purposes. You know, and, and the and the interesting another interesting stat is of his eight goals, five of those goals are game winners. So I mean. I know there's no stat for clutch, but that's clutch. I mean that's that's about as clutch as you get. When when the team needs a goal, he's gonna be the one that can be he's he can be dependent upon to score those kinds of goals. You know, and I think uh, you know, I just think it's a credit to to his work ethic and I think it's uh I think it's indicative of the fact that he is the kind of player that um that you can rely on, which is which is massive because there were so many times last year where you'd get like you said, there was there was a lot of inconsistency among the players. Especially in the offense last year, that you just you really didn't know where you you're going to get week to week, and you know you can go even further than just Teal. You can even go to Diego. You can go to Kellen Rowe. You really didn't know what you're going to get from guys like that, and I think we're just seeing more consistent performances from the guys from the front four, from the guys like like Christian Pinia, from Diego Fagunis, from Teal Bunbury. you know, and that's that's huge because that's those are the guys that you really need to lean on, and those are the guys that. Friedel is really asking to say, guys, you really need to like, you know, show up week in and week out, and they've all done that. And I think, you know, the, the player that's that's benefited from that kind of trust and that kind of challenge that that Friedel's posed to them is is none other than Teal Bunbury. Um, so, you know, he continues to play really, really well this year, and um, you know, I think, I know we talk about it every so often, but I think he's, uh, I think he's the one that's benefited the most from. From Friedel's you know, system, uh, you know, the high press, and him being, you know, one of the obviously one of the first players pressing the ball when when they're trying to, when the other team's trying to play it out of the back.
1: Yeah, and I agree. He he seems to be really thriving in the system and seems to be really gelling. And it's really the first time I was thinking about this last night. It reminds me of in 2014 when Charlie Davies came back uh, and he was established himself up top as the full-time starter and he seemed to just really click with everyone on the field and that's how I feel about Teal Bunbury um I believe it was Teal Bunbury that made that or was it Caicedo that made that pass to um Namath well either way (laughs) regardless I I think it was Bunbury was it Bunbury that made that pass to Namath yeah I think think the throwing came to Bunbury and then he found Namath and and Bunbury doesn't just score goals he's all over the field and he seems to really gel with everyone in the midfield very very well it's Pretty amazing, too. He does a lot of things off the ball. He's just really, really solid all the way around. And it's it's pretty crazy that before the season, you know, a lot of people, I think, would rather have seen Agadello as opposed to Bunbury. I know we talked about this last week, but, you know, he's really, really thrived in, in this system. He's really doing all the little things correctly. Uh, it's really great to see him, too, after... A couple of rough years in New England, uh, his role had kind of slowed down. It's really nice to see this emergence. And as I say, this is really the first time I I, I can remember since Charlie Davies where you have that kind of confidence in a striker up top where, you know, it's 1-1 late in the game. Christian Pena has the ball. He's going to whip it across and he just knows Teal Bunbury is going to be there. You know what I mean? It's a really, really great feeling to have someone that, uh, you know, the teammates seem to have a lot of confidence in. And uh, Bunbury is just absolutely killing it right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and another thing I've noticed about Bunbury is that he's his his he's playing deeper into games now now that the season's going on further as the season's progressed. I you know, I remember at the beginning of the, year, the first, beginning of the season where I think maybe in the first 4 or 5 weeks, he was one of your first subs. Like he was one of the first guys you subbed off, you know, cuz you know, like a lot of the players, I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the players have been challenged as far as their strength and conditioning goes this year under Friedel. Um, so I think it's encouraging. Not only are you seeing a guy who's scoring, but he's a guy who's staying longer in games. And I think that's also massive because you know you look at it, you look at last night's game. You know he scores in the 75th minute. You look at Wednesday's game. He's he's available to score from the spot. You know in the 85th minute. And you know those are the those, you want players like him on the field as long as you can. So I think that in addition to the scoring, I think he's also putting himself in position. To make those kinds of clutch, to, to score those kinds of clutch goals or make those kinds of clutch plays, because now that he's caught up on the conditioning aspect, you know it, it, the whole offense benefits. So I think I think that's somewhat lost in that. I have to look at the exact stats of like what, how many more minutes he's playing now as opposed to the beginning of the year. But I remember at the beginning of the year he was one of the first ups. He was one of the first guys that yeah. was coming off in the 58th or 62nd minute, and uh, you know you, you put in Agudelo right after that.
1: Yeah, and I got you covered on the stats here. So he's played eight. Ah. Con- he's got eight consecutive games of eighty-two minutes or more. There you go. He, he and and the eighty-two minutes stat. He had uh, he was substituted in the eighty-second minute against Toronto. Yeah. In that three-two game uh, where he was the player of the game with a goal and assist. Uh, so and and we should mention too those eight goals in ten games. Those are all eight separate games. He hasn't had a single two-goal game this season. So in yeah. eight of the last ten games, Bunbury has scored, uh, which is pretty pretty impressive. Uh, But yeah, he's uh, seven of the last eight games, he's played 89 minutes or more. He was subbed off in the Vancouver game with one one minute to go. Um, He had a three-game stretch before this eight-game run where he was substituted in the 54th, 70th, and 76th minute. First three games of the season, he actually played 90, 90, and 88. So he actually wasn't a sub in the first. I guess he was a sub for one of the games. But the Philadelphia Union game, they were down a man, uh, so they needed him to play up top. He went from the wing to the top. Really, to your point, the last eight games have been the it's really been the for the first eight game stretch where they haven't had any rotation up top, and Budberry has kind of secured that position. So I'll yeah. kind of reword it that way, but yeah, he he's been really really solid all the way around. It's it's him and Matt Turner, just really, no no competition in those spots at all.
0: Oh yeah, and two biggest stories, two two easily two biggest stories of the rest of the season so far. Two biggest stories. I mean, nobody knew what you were going to get from Matt Turner, um, and really the expectations weren't that high for Teal Bunbury, a guy who certainly had the quality. Has so has shown the quality and has you know made national team appearances um, obviously two very different stories but two important developments for the rev season so far this year completely completely unexpected from both um, and both players trem- absolutely the keys to the to the revs early season success so far
1: if I remember correctly too when Minnesota, when, when Minnesota came into the league, Minnesota and Atlanta came into the league, and there was the expansion draft. Femi, Holmes, or Jansen was drafted by Minnesota. And if I remember correctly, there was some debate on Twitter whether or not the Revs should have protected Femi and left Teal Bunbury exposed. And Teal Bunbury most certainly would have been picked up by Minnesota or Atlanta. So in hindsight, it's kind of interesting to see. No, the Revs got Femi back, of course. They traded Bobby Shuttleworth to Minnesota for Femi. But it is kind of interesting to see in hindsight you know that's how far down Teal Bunbury was, where people didn't think he was worth the 250k in salary or whatever he he's at making right now um, for a roster spot. And here he is now, a potential all star. It's really really great to see uh, coming from him. One one more person I want to touch upon from last night's game, just because he got the start. He's talking talking about kind of the opposite of Teal Bunbury, where he's consistently up top. This person's been in and out. Uh, Kellen Rowe had a, a spot start yesterday. Uh, his first start in a while. I don't have the stats up right now, but what would you think of his performance? And do you think he might have earned another start over the next week?
0: I think he's certainly earned another another start. I think he was pretty good in that game. I mean, he wasn't exceptional, but again, as as we've talked about earlier, like nobody was really exceptional in yesterday's game as far as the passing goes. But you know what? He had that early shot. I think he had that early shot on 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 um, not Robles, uh, Ryan Miera, where you know that was that was a heck of a shot from from that kind of angle. And I think I think he still shows that he can. He still has a lot of offer within the, within the uh, you know, within Friedel's system. I mean, that said, I don't I don't know if he's going to be a weekend. I don't know if his spot in the lineup is as secure as you know, say Teal Barry's or anyone else or Christian Penney But um, it's always good to see a guy like him still still you know show some flashes of what he's capable of, and I think he did last night. Certainly, with the Open Cup on tap, he's going to get more he's going to get more opportunities to kind of show Friedel what what he can do. You know, with more minutes, because I think if I if I remember correctly, I think he scored six or seven goals in Open Cup competition all the time. I remember there was a point in his career where he was just you know given the start and he's gonna score. So I think uh, I think the Open Cup is actually gonna be a good showcase for him. I think it's timely for him because he's a guy that can certainly stand to like who can certainly stand to get some more minutes, uh, regardless of what, regardless of the competition, regardless of. You know, whether it's league or Open Cup tournament uh, competition, I think he's a guy who's who seems primed to kind of show Fredo what he's capable of when playing 90 minutes.
1: Yeah, and, and I thought – I agree with you. I think we're going to see him in the Open Cup match. I think that's going to be a really, really good spot for him to play against a team like Louisville – I think yesterday's lineup was really, really interesting because it seemed to be very offensive heavy. Uh, I think the Revs wanted to control the game, and, and they seemed to have executed their game plan really well. And I think Kellen Rowe and, and Caicedo made a really, really good pairing in the midfield. I thought Caicedo played really, really well, kind of being that uh, irritator on defense where he was able to, to you know, jam up some passes uh, and really help out on defense. And Rowe was also that extra body that was able to get upfield and really make a, a difference um, Real played 84 minutes, uh, yesterday, probably his best performance of the season outside of, uh, the game against Montreal where he had two assists and, and really, he might not have come off in the 84th minute. He came off, uh, for Zahebo, but he, he had just received a yellow card and it seemed like the Revs didn't want to risk him running around with a yellow card when they had Zahebo uh, and Caldwell available on the bench, but overall a really, really good game. Uh, he, he also had three interceptions yesterday, so he, he showed a little bit of defensive prowess uh, yesterday too. I, I would like to see him get more and more involved. I, I know there's a bit of a, there's a really, really good depth uh, in the midfield. It's it's a really good problem for the Revolution to have. Uh, but I think with someone like Kellen Rose's skill set, it's still kind of crazy to me that, you know, this is the first game of the season where he got more than 80 minutes. Um, his longest performance other than that was against Colorado Rapids, where he played 70 minutes. So it, it, it's really, really good to see him getting a spot and a spot start and showing what he can do. Uh, I'd compare it to, to Namath too, where, you know, uh, Namath kind of had his struggle all season. Uh, and he, he got to show what he could do, and he reminded us all, especially me, uh, that he, he's actually pretty good. So uh, I, I was really encouraged by Rose's performance. I, I hope he gets to start a little bit more uh, when they want to go offensive heavy in the future because I, I think the lineup yesterday worked out really, really well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it was um, – and I think um, Friedel had mentioned that. It was the kind of lineup that he wanted to go with against the Red Bulls. Um, obviously, tactical, tactically, it worked. Because the Red Bulls really, really struggled on offense. And I think the, the inclusion of Roe, when you, when you have the partnership of Roe and Caicedo, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that the, uh, that the, that the Red Bulls weren't really able to get into any kind of uh, consistent rhythm. So, um, you know, there'll be more matchups like that. There'll, there'll be more instances, I think, in which Frida will look at the opposition and say, OK, well, I want to go I want to go small in, in the midfield in the central pairing and, uh, you know, use, use guys like Caicedo and Roe rather than going with Zahibo. You know using that using that to the revs advantage in, in certain in certain matchups like like against the red bulls um so you know i think like i said earlier i think it's going to be i think these are the kinds of games that that row can show um similar to namath uh where those two guys can show fatal you know what they're capable of and really kind of you know give give uh, freedom more confidence in using them as the season progresses because as we all know injuries in injuries nonetheless in they they just happen we saw that with Tierney. There, I mean, there's no there's there's no team that escapes the injury bug uh, in MLS, especially with the grind that the Revs, you know, have to face. You know, in the second half of the year, where they're looking at a lot of a lot of road games. You no, know, by all means, I mean these these are the kinds of games that only can only instill more confidence in in and you know rotating guys in and out, especially given the fact that they that they are so focused on using high press. You're gonna need you're gonna need. Pretty much every guy on the roster to make contributions, and, and I think uh, Namath and Roe certainly did that last night.
1: And speaking of rotation and kind of, kind of also on injuries and, and ever using everyone available, Claude Yelna made his first start at left back on the season. I believe you can correct me if this is wrong. You would know better than me. I believe this is the first time the Revolution have used him at left back. Uh, I'm not 100% certain on that. I didn't check, but I can't remember him playing left back, so this was our first taste of him, or at least it was my first taste of Claude Yelna at left back. He was very, very involved. You can't you can't say that. Uh, he led the team in touches uh, and passes. He also took five of the eight corners for the Revolution and had a really, really pre- pretty decent free kick. He unleashed a rocket uh, right on Ryan Mira's left side. It was uh, pushed away, but uh, I mean he, he certainly has a leg. Um, so I, I personally am really, really in favor of this move. I think it might burn you on a, on a team that plays wide because Claudiella doesn't have a ton of speed. He might get beat uh, down that right wing if... You know, some, someone who's can really really uh move can probably just get right around him if, if someone has like a brandon buy, for example on, on the opposing side, they'll be able to just dance around Cla- Claude D'Elna. Uh, but I think yesterday in a game like uh against the Red Bulls where you're kind of more focused about uh defending up the middle, uh, I thought Claude D'Elna played really 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 well. Uh, I really like having him out on the field because I think he does give you a lot on free kicks. Uh, I, I really approved of his overall performance, was not amazing, uh, but. I think Claude Yellen likes pushing up the field, and I think using him as a left back might be able to, to let him do stuff like that. So, uh, what do you think of Claude's performance last night?
0: Yeah, I think it was good. Um, I, I think similar to what you just said, I, I think I think it's the kind of role that allows Claude to kind of like I, you know, we were talking about in the press box last night, where I think he, I think he likes, I think he likes playing out in left because that kind of it kind of gives him more license to kind of get involved in the offense. He loves going up. He really, really <laughs> you does. can I mean, tell. That's... He
1: wants to be oh, up yeah. there.
0: He's a he's a defender with the heart of a striker. I mean, he really really likes to involve himself in the offense, and I think uh, I think the spot yesterday, especially against a team like the Red Bulls, who don't have really a ton of speed out on the wings, I mean, kind of gives him the opportunity to just do do what he kind of really wants to do as a center back. Um, but obviously, it's, obviously, uh, it's more acceptable to gamble as a fullback than 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 you can as a center back by all means. So I think uh, I think yesterday was the kind of game where you kind of. You know, you kind of look at the match and you say, "Okay, well, this is this is a game where it's not going to absolutely kill us to put him at um, left back." So, um, by no means would 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 it be smart to play him at left back in a game like we saw at Vancouver last week? Um, you're probably asking for trouble by doing that. But against a, a team like the Red Bulls at home, um, where you're not like you said, like they're not encountering the likes of Alfonso Davies or even Chris or, or even uh, Christian Chichera. I mean. You don't have to worry about those kinds of guys. So I think it's I think it certainly gives Friedel another option. And I think often and, and I could be wrong on this, I think he did play left back for the reps last year here and there, um, where I think the central pairing might have been uh this really is stump it's stumping me right now, but I think the central pairing might have involved uh, De La Maya and Benjamin Angua. And I think there were some, some times where I think uh where I think Diemle did play left backs, but um, nevertheless, I think it just gives you I think it certainly gives Friedel a, a lot more flexibility, especially in light of the fact that Tierney's out for the rest of the year and certainly gives uh, you know the reps a little more I think it gives them a little more life at, on the left because I think I think there are times when which we've seen Somi he wants to get involved, but you know he 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 doesn't always play with the kind of confidence that you know for better or worse D'Alma has. Um, so I think it's certainly helped the certainly helped the offensive cause. And I think it won't be the last time we see him out left back this season.
1: Yeah, and I, I also want to note too that goal wasn't even, uh, you know, there really, really wasn't anyone at, at fault for the goal either. It was, it came from the left side. It was a, a cross, uh, but it looked like Kellen Rowe had him, had the guy marked, and he kind of backed off because the guy was running behind him, and he wanted to secure that left side. Uh, and the cross kind of came in for Bradley White, Wright Phillips, who was being guarded by Andrew Farrell, which was, you know, for an aerial ball, not not the not the best matchup the Revs want. Uh, so uh, I thought Clyde really did a good job at left back yesterday. And, you know, him at midfield, I, I think he had a long cross from midfield where he just served it right in the box and his leg is so strong. He, 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 you know, any, any, any time he has the ball, if he has the ball in space to cross the ball, uh, I mean, he could swing it into the box. You, you know, he, he's such a, he, he can be a versatile threat on offense uh, if the Revs can use him that way. And I think by putting him at left back, um, I think that's just a match made in heaven. With that being said, I think we both touched upon this. I think they'll use Somi and Diana based on the matchup. I think that's the plan going forward at left back. Um, there might be also a day where Annie baba or De la May might need a rest, and they move Diana into center back, and they put Somi out at left back too. Um, so I kind of expect to see a lot of rotation. I mean, that's kind of Brad Friedel's thing. Um, do you, are you thinking the same same wavelength? Where you think we're going to kind of see a mix of uh, Somi and Deanna at left back, depending on the matchup?
0: Yeah, it looks like it's probably going to be that. I think you're probably going to see um, Somi. I think you're probably going to see Somi against teams that, that use more speed, and I think you're going to see Dianna against kind of slower teams, guys guys who uh, play uh, teams that don't have a ton of speed on the wings. So I think it will be week to week, kind of like based on the matchup. Which I think obviously suits Friedel just fine if he has if he has confidence in both those players. Um, so yeah, I think I think we'll definitely see more rotation. It might also be interesting to see, depending upon how far the Revs get into Open Cup, you know, maybe what other options we haven't seen maybe before, because I feel like although it seems like the Revs seem committed based upon Friedel's comments to really taking the tournament seriously, I think it will be interesting to see that what what if any kind of experimentation um Friedel uses for those games. Especially in the earlier stages, because you know, I think both of us have seen enough Open Cup games where we kind of see some interesting positioning. Whether it's Donnie Smith at center back, or whether it's you know Steve Newman as your holding midfielder, um, there's always room for experimentation in those early round games. Um, and who knows? Maybe maybe Friedel has something up his sleeve for Wednesday's game at Louisville.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree. We, we I think we talked a few weeks ago too about maybe playing uh, Sony up at kind of left wing. Uh, I, I'd kind of want to see him kind of as an attacking uh, midfielder because I think he'd be able to use his speed and uh, he might get more chances to cross and that that might be a position better suited for him. But but I think with the Chris Tierney injury, I, I think it'd be good to get him some reps at left back and get him more accustomed custom uh, with the Revolution uh, to kind of gel with that back line and such. So um, that, that also kind of leads to another question, uh, Brian. I gave you some homework because uh, you know it's really easy for us to just say, oh, they need to get a left back, they need to get a right back. <laughs> Uh, so, um, and you kind of foreshadowed this, uh, you mentioned this a second, this guy a second ago. I, I want to think of someone the revolution can acquire kind of an idea, uh, for who, who ideally we, we might want the revolution to go after a realistic, uh, kind of player, maybe an MLS or internationally, instead of just being the guys that say, Oh, revs go out and get someone who perfectly fits your system. Um, so I, I think you kind of foreshadowed it. The revs need to bring back Donnie Smith. I think that's perfect. I, I mean, so we, you want to just skip over this segment? I mean, we're pretty much done. Or do you have someone else in mind?
0: I actually do have someone in mind. I mean, although, oh, let's be honest, Donnie Smith isn't the worst option I think you could find out there. I, I mean, if, if you're looking for depth, he's not, the, he's not the worst. I mean, he's familiar with the system. He's going to give you speed. And, you know, I don't, without going too, too far, without getting, jumping too, too far onto the Donnie Smith bandwagon, if that still exists, <laughs> Um, he did show some flashes a couple of years ago when he was given an opportunity to get some get some uh, minutes before Copa America. I think it was in twenty sixteen, uh, and then he got hurt, and then that was the last we really ever saw of him. But nevertheless, um, you know, if, if we're not going to go with the Donnie Smith route, I do I do think the Revs should maybe kind of consider bringing in Sesinovic, a guy that obviously a lot of Revs fans are familiar with. You know, uh, he's still out in uh, supporting Kansas City. You know, and a quality quality left back. Um, you know, certainly somebody that could, that the revs could, uh, you know, plug in, and you really know what you're getting from Sassanovic. Um guy who's played here, you know, familiar with playing on the turf. You know, not a lot of players still on the team from, from when he was here. I think Chris Tierney, ironically, might be one of the only players on the team that, that was here, um, besides probably Diego Palunas, that that's still here from when he was here. So, nevertheless, I think he's a he's a guy that the revs, you know, could certainly you know, inquire with uh, Peter Vernice and seeing whether or not he's available.
1: Yeah, and I, I like that pick too. Um, just want to go back to Donnie Smith. I think we were leading the free Donnie Smith bandwagon. And I think a couple of years ago we talked about maybe Donnie Smith making more starts than Chris Tierney at left back. Cause I, I think we were both really, really high on him. We wanted to see him play. Uh, so I, I, I didn't even think of Donnie Smith until you said that. <laughs> and I, I my eyes kind of lit up like, Oh my God, Donnie Smith. How did I not think of that? <laughs> you. What the, you know, uh, for the, for the record, Donnie Smith is not a free agent. He's with the Charlotte independence. And I'm not totally sure how that would work if they could acquire him. Um, but it looks like he's playing a wingback position. Um, he does have an eighty six percent pass percentage uh and two shots on target three he this is out of three games though so you know he, he might be playing in a rotation or something like that but he, he seems to be playing pretty decent at u s l um but i do i do like your pick overall i I, I think that'd be good to incorporate someone uh, who who has an idea with the revolution? I think the question that uh, you know is, would he want to come back? I I, I think uh, you mentioned someone someone's made that comment of you know does someone actually want to come back and play with the revolution? But uh, I think he'd fit very very well into that system, and he's certainly an MLS proven uh, player. He's a veteran. Um, my idea, I, I had a different idea. Another MLS veteran, but I was looking at the MLS standings. I was trying to think of who who's kind of in cell mode. Uh, and and one name that kind of stood out to me is uh, in San Jose Shea Salinas, who. You know, former left winger, kind of an attacking midfielder, left midfielder. He's he's been moved back to the left back spot, and that's where he started most of this season. Um, He's got the starting left back job with. I'll say mixed results, but you know, if the revolution clearly want to have left backs that can get up uh, into the field of play, uh, can cross the ball kind of add to the offense. Uh, and I think he might be someone that might be able to, uh, provide those things to, to give some distribution and kind of be a Chris Tierney type player. Chris Tierney, also a left midfielder that has moved back to, to left back. Um, I'm not sure what he would give you defensively, uh, but I, I think he is someone that could come in and, and add to that rotation uh, and be a good alternative for Somi. And, and as I say, I, he, he seems to model a Chris Tierney type, uh, in my opinion, where he might be able to give you the things that you wanted from Chris Tierney, so you're not able to, to lose much uh, on that end. So the other n- n- name, too, that I wanted to throw out there, although I don't think this is uh, a good fit, but Demarcus Beasley is still in, still playing in Houston, so... Uh, you know, Houston, I think, is also going to be in sell mode over the summer transfer window, but I, I don't see that being as good of a fit uh, for New England. So, I think you said, I think you summed up perfectly. He's still playing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going, I was going through like the bad teams in the MLS, and I go, oh yeah, Demarcus Beasley's still here. Okay, that's He's cool. still playing. Yeah, that's, that's great. So- I, remember, I remember Demarcus. He's great. Uh, I mean, I guess we play Houston once a year, so I guess I don't pay. I, and did he? I, I maybe he didn't play in the last game against the Revolution, but I, I I don't know why I thought he was retired, but he was still there. So I was like, oh hey, you know what? Maybe we'll bring in Marcus. Me- he's got name value. Yeah, you know, he's a U.S. international. There you go. And you know what the best part about it? He's still playing. He's still playing. Still there. <laughs> oh boy, I I sure hope. <laughs> anyway, moving on before we before we insult any other U.S. It's international pretty- legends here. <laughs> Moving on, so the Revs' next game is uh, at uh, at Louisville City. Uh, it's the U- first round. Well, it's not the first round of the U.S. Open Cup, but it's their first U.S. Open Cup matchup. It actually is not going to be as easy of a matchup as people think I think going up against the USL side you think well you know they're an MLS team you should be facing uh, a, a weaker team but uh, Louisville City won the USL last season and they've gotten off to a pretty hot start this year uh, they are 7-2-1 they're in second place behind FC Cincinnati but they're only one point behind and they have two games in hand so I, I haven't done the math out but I assume that they lead in points per game uh, in the Eastern Conference um, so so very clearly they're they're A strong team overall. And we saw last year FC Cincinnati went, I believe, to the final four in the US Open Cup. Uh, They certainly knocked out a number of MLS teams. So Louisville is not a team to take lightly. Um, I'm not going to pretend to do predictions and act like I'm an expert on Louisville City or I know what lineup that they're playing. But uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on? And it's a shame Sean is not here because I know Sean is 100% in the camp of play your starters, take the US Open Cup seriously. Um, but what are your thoughts on what the revs should do are, are you a play your starters go as far as you can treat this very very seriously or are you a play your reserves and backups see what your young guys can do and if you lose you kind of shrug your shoulders and call it a day
0: yeah i think the revs have to take it seriously um and i think something that uh friedel mentioned in his post post game press conference yesterday was that you never really want to, want to get in the habit of losing so to speak uh you want to keep the players in the habit of winning and i think um, you know, if, if he's going to stand by that statement, I think we're going to see the revs. I think we're going to see Friedel take this tournament seriously, uh, which I think is a good thing because I, I, I happen to agree, I happen to agree that, you know, while some coaches look at the tournament as an opportunity to get, you know, their younger players, their reserves, more minutes, I think you do have to take it seriously, but obviously within reason, you don't want to burn guys like, you don't want to burn guys out like your Christian Penny is, like your Diego Fagunas is, you don't want to get Teal Bunbury hurt in those kinds of games. You don't want them to get tired in those games. But at the same time, you still want them to be involved in those games. You want them to play those games because you want to take the tournament seriously. You know, and if, you know, Friedel, if Friedel's a man of his word, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of the same guys from Saturday's game in that game back in the lineup. Um, So I do think, obviously, you'll have to watch the minutes, uh, and I'm sure the coaching staff will do that. But I think, you know, if if Friedel is trying to institute a new culture where, you know, you have accountability. You have guys who are earning their minutes. Um, then I think you have you you have to take this tournament seriously, and I think you will.
1: I agree with a lot of what you said, but at the same time, I think the Revolution have so much depth that I think you could put a second side out there and and give them significant minutes uh, and. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as high on the U.S. Open Cup. I, I remember the the Revolution made that U.S. Open Cup run a couple of years ago. And while it's great to be in the final of a cup, I, I just don't take it very, very seriously until you get a few rounds in. Um, I, I just don't think it's totally important to have Christian Pena going out there against a USL side. Uh, I, you know, I, I just don't think Diego Fagundes and Christian Pena should be, you know, potentially risking injury and, I don't know. They, they seem to be really gelling well and they've had three games in the last eight days or, or at least as of Saturday, they played three games in eight days. This will be their fourth game in two weeks. Uh, I I would personally rest them for the Chicago game. I'd rest your star players. I should say, I I don't mind playing De La Maya. I don't mind playing, um, you know, Brandon by, I guess at right back, uh, you, you know some of your other starters are people that get minutes routinely Zahibo Caldwell I I don't mind playing them but I think your star players uh, it's not even worth sending them out there for the fourth round of the usl cup i'd wait a few rounds until you you have a decent chance of actually winning the thing when you can see the end in sight uh before sending out your starters so um you know and, and i hope to see guys like zach haribo uh, on wednesday um you know i hope to see brandon by play some right back uh i want i want to see scott caldwell play 90 minutes i know he's been rotated in and out and maybe make guys like Fagundes and Pena maybe available off the bench where if you want to put them in stoppage time and get a late goal or whatever, you know, maybe put them out there for 15 minutes. Okay, I'm okay with that. It's a little more reasonable, but I, I just don't think, you know, Going down to Louisville and and playing Diego Faguenas ninety minutes when when you got to turn around and play Chicago on Saturday, uh, I'm I'm not really that big of a fan of uh, of that idea. Maybe maybe we can bring in Sean next week and he can tell me I'm wrong. But uh, you know I, I remember losing the Charlottesville Independence at Harvard a few years ago, and you know while that sucks, you know you don't want to lose you know to a USL team. It's a bit embarrassing. But did the Revs really? Does anyone look back on that loss and that that? you know, wasted USL cup run quote unquote and kind of regret it. No, but uh, you know, so I I see as an opportunity where, you know, we get to see guys like maybe Brian, Wright. uh, You know, we've seen him in, you know spells of eight minutes and 10 minutes you know give him 90 minutes against a usl side see if he impresses um i'm a big fan of that and and seeing what we have available on the bench uh, as opposed to running out because we're going to know what we get from fagundes we're going to know what we get from pania and at the end of the day i I just i don't treat the u.s open cup as that important of a tournament so uh that will pretty much do it uh for us this week on revolution recap uh Unless you wanted to give a, we have Chicago next Saturday. Did you want to throw out a prediction? I haven't personally have not looked that far ahead, so I cannot give an educated guess. But uh, Brian, you want to throw out a prediction for next Saturday's yeah, game?
0: I'll throw out a prediction. Um, I think you know the Revs. The Revs. It's it's always a tough game in Chicago, um, regardless of how well Chicago is doing. It's you know Bridgeview uh, Toyota Park is never an easy place for the team to play. You know, given where Chicago is in standings, I know they were able to pull pull off a two one win over San Jose yesterday, um, but. I, I think the Revs get a draw out of it. I think I think it's going to be one-one, um, and I think it's going to be a game in which uh, I think it's going to be a game in which the Revs are really obviously going to have their hands full with a guy like Bash and Schweinsteiger, you know. And I, I think it's going to be a game that I think will have might have a lot of the a lot of the same things we saw in the Atlanta game, um, but I think this time around, I think the Revs will be a little bit more prepared. I know that the Open Cup game kind of like throws a little bit of a wild card into it as far as how how strong or how. Um, you know, how fit guys are going to be going to that game. Um, but I do, I still like the Revs' chance in that game. So I'll, I'll stick with the 1 1 prediction.
1: And again, I, I usually kind of look up and down the lineup and see what teams have done in the last few games. I, ha- I admittedly have not done this this uh, this week. Uh, I was more prepped on uh, Louisville uh, than Chicago. Uh, but so I, I'll throw out a 2 1 Revs victory. Chicago really has not impressed from what I, I know of them. Uh, their home record is 3 4 1. They, they, just aren't clicking like they did last year. I don't, I don't see them as that dangerous, um, which is a bit surprising. I, I kind of pictured them as being a playoff team this year. So uh, I, I think the Revs are uh, – I think they go in. I, I'm going to go optimistic. I'm going to go with a 2-1 victory. And I, and
0: I don't think that's too much of an optimistic uh, prediction, only for the fact that I was actually just looking at the just looking at the Open Cup uh, pairings. And actually Chicago has to play Columbus for their midweek game, so that won't be easy. Now A little bit of a roster juggling, lineup juggling – um, for, for, uh, for Ponovic over in, over in Chicago. So, um, so yeah. So while we talk about the Revs facing USL team, the, uh, <laughs> the fire have to play one of the best teams in the East for their, for, for their first open cup game.
1: It should be noted too, that the Revs have another, I don't want to say a tough stretch because then they got to go out to San Jose and see their future left back, uh, Salinas out there. Uh, but they're playing that game. Uh, the, Wednesday following next Saturday, so four days after Saturday, they're, they're going to another road game out in San Jose before a long break. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how Brad Friedel not only manages the midweek U.S. Open Cup match, uh, but he's got another stretch of three games in eight days. No one, knows, it, It'll be very, very fascinating to see how these lineups mix up, who he rotates in, who he rotates out. It's, it's hard to predict to see if we're going to be facing our A-team against uh, Chicago's A-team next week, but... I I think if it is that matchup, if it's eight teams and both are equally well rested, I I think the Revolution have a good chance of taking that game. Uh, They seem to be getting stronger and stronger as the week goes on. And as I say, last week, everyone played very, very well. I don't think you're going to see the same lineup at Chicago. I think they might go a little more defensive with Caldwell or Zahibo in for a row. But um, I I think they're really, really gelling right now. And, uh, you know, I I would not be surprised if they take three points from Chicago. Brian, do you have any uh, shout outs this week? I have one shout out. I have to shout out Brad Friedel
0: um, for for his for getting nominated for, not getting nominated to get for getting inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame for his first year on the ballot. Um, obviously, well deserved accolade. Um, an accolade I don't think that gets enough press, not gets enough publicity. Um, but it's uh, for me, it's always cool to see guys um, from the national team uh, that were key parts of the national team when I first got into soccer, and he was one of them. Um, so is it it's it was cool to see the announcement made that uh, that he got inducted uh, his first year on the ballot and i absolutely obviously well-deserved one of the one of the best keepers that ever played for the US You know well-deserved accolade and um, I just wanted to shout him out for for getting inducted his first first year on the
1: ballot A great honor uh, I remember seeing that and my first reaction was he's not in the Hall of Fame yet And so <laughs> when I found out it was his first year on the ballot that made a lot of sense to me um, Yeah, he, he's One of the great keepers that's come out of the U.S., and he's certainly, you know, helped develop the sport in the U.S., and he's meant a lot to the game, and uh, I think the fact that he's come here now and he's coaching, that only furthers that reputation. So, yeah, congratulations to Coach. It's certainly a great honor and uh, well-deserved, I'd say. Um, I don't actually have any shout-outs this week. Actually, you know what? I do have one shout-out because I I want to shout-out Six States, One Podcast. Uh, I'm a big fan of their show. You go on that show uh, every now and then, Brian. And I know that you went on their show a couple weeks ago and you mentioned Revolution Recapping like your first answer and they started giving you crap for ah. you know the, the quick drop. <laughs> so just to make things even, just to make things even, I want to give them a shout out. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you also listen to that one. Um, they've been doing it for about a year and you know we've interacted with them on Twitter a couple times. They do a really, really great show. Uh, they typically have shows on Tuesday. So uh, if you, you can't get enough Revolution podcasts, definitely check them out. Absolutely. They do a great job over there. So uh, that'll do it uh, for us this week. Uh, Next week, Sean comes back so you don't have to listen to my awkward stuttering uh, and no music at the beginning of the episode. Sorry about that, guys. We'll we'll get Sean back next week and we'll figure that stuff out. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, Until next week, take care.